0: You have your Bibles with you, and want to turn to Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21. You're welcome to do that. I'll be reading it today from the Living Bible translation. So, be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be fools. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. Don't act thoughtlessly but try to find out and do whatever the Lord wants you to. Don't drink too much wine, for many evils lie along that path. Be filled instead with the Holy Spirit and controlled by Him. Talk with each other much about the Lord, quoting psalms and hymns and singing sacred songs, making music in your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks for everything to our God and Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Honor Christ by submitting to each other.
1: Well, it feels good to be with you this morning. We had a beautiful worship service last week of singing and memories and uh, the way that those two come together. So this week we reflect on thankfulness, and we reflect on thankfulness in the context of the celebration of a holiday, but also in the context of our faith. So Paul is writing a letter here to the Christians in Ephesus, and this paragraph uh, generally doesn't stand by itself. Uh, in, in study of biblical texts, part, the first thing you have to do is what, uh, select the chunk that you're picking out. So which, which chunk are you going to take? Well, you're supposed to sort of do the whole thing. Well, I've cut it in half here. And the uh, translators, it seems, uh, of, of my common English Bible here, it seems that they have uh, facilitated me doing that. And, and I'll explain that a little bit later. The, the paragraph that leads in before, if you have the same translation as I do, you'll see that the, the heading for Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 14 is, Be Children of Light. And so Paul is reminding the people in that passage there of, of their need to reflect God's light into the world, uh, talking about some of the things that interfere with that light and challenging them to, uh, to wake up, to wake up. This is what light does to us. It wakes us up so that Christ will shine on us. And so this is the context of this passage, light. We want to be children of light. We want light to be radiating off of us so that people see there's something different about us. And it's hard to, to feel that way all the time. But with Christ in our life, something should be different. And so we want that light to, to shine off of us. And all, that, that paragraph leads into this one. Uh, depending on which translation you're looking at, the first word in verse 15 is "so." Now this is a word that connects one thought to another, so this previous thought is important. You want to be children of light, so here's what you need to do. I find light fascinating, uh, not even really from a, a scientific perspective, uh, but just the way that it happens, when, when we are in here right now, uh, it's much brighter outside than it is in here. And uh, if we were outside, these windows, which are almost entirely glass, would sort of be reflective because there's more light there than here. But uh, if we were to have this same gathering just as, as night was falling and we had the same lights on, there could be a pack of coyotes walking through the parking lot. We wouldn't know because the light, the windows, reflect back our own light as soon as it's darker outside than it is here. And these aren't special advanced windows that do that. That's just the property of glass, the way that light bounces off of things. And so I've, I've mentioned to, to you already that I'm, I'm in a new apartment. And so in that context, I look out my window. I like to have my window open to light, to let natural light in. Uh, But the problem with windows is they don't just let light in, they also let light out. And so I want to know, uh, are people walking by and they can, you know, see what I'm doing? Can they see me doing my laundry? Can they see that I'm just sitting on the couch watching TV? Like, can they see that? I'm on the second floor. So... A few times when I've gone for a walk at night, I'll walk by the sidewalk that looks, that you could, a person could if they wanted to, look in my windows, just to see what's the light balance, how careful do I need to be. Now one thing I noticed is uh, that people can see, but they'd have to be like, that would have to be their sole focus. Like, if they're walking a normal pace, they're not going to be looking long enough to see anything. Uh, but the other thing that I noticed is that nobody else has their windows open. Not, not that I was trying to look in. Uh, it's none of my business what my neighbors are doing. Uh, but it just seemed strange that I looked in my window. Okay, yeah, some light is coming out. I can see where my furniture is, but not, not much else. And then as I'm still looking, at, it, I just kind of looked generally around. Okay, blinds closed, blinds closed. Everybody has their blinds closed. Now, maybe they, as uh, city people, know something that I, as a country kid, uh, didn't know, that people will, walking by will look in your windows and you should keep them closed, or they are just more mindful of their privacy and secrecy and they just want to keep their light to themselves. And so this is uh, I, its a metaphor that came to my mind as I was reflecting on this that they, knowing what's happening around them, wanted to be careful. They know how light works, how windows work, how reflection works. They know that somebody walking by will be drawn to the light that they see. And so they are careful. So then Paul begins this passage with the same instruction. So, knowing that you want to be children of light... So, knowing that light is coming off of you, so, knowing that Christ's light is shining on you, all of these things inform this. Paul says, so, be careful to live your life wisely and not foolishly. Because no matter what I'm doing in my living room, if it's wise or foolish, it will be reflected outside exactly the same. Right, the, the wisdom of my actions doesn't control how much of it is reflected out the window. That's a scientific thing of light and darkness and reflecting angles and whatever. So be careful to live your life wisely and not foolishly. The other thing that light does is it draws our eyes. Uh, when you're driving down the road and it's, it's dark and the other car has their high beams on, Well, if you look at their high beams, it's going to hurt your eyes. So the smart thing says, don't look at their high beams. Well, you sort of have to look kind of like right beside them, but that's really hard because that's kind of right beside where you're supposed to be looking. But it's also really big, so your eyes are drawn to it. Now, we're supposed to, my driving instructors told me, look down at the line beside you if it becomes a problem. But our eyes are drawn to the light. And so when we claim to be children of the light, when people see light coming from us, they will pay attention. And so when they are paying attention, uh, we need to be careful. And we don't get to choose when people are paying attention to us. It would be great if they were paying attention when we were demonstrating generosity and speaking well and being kind, and it would be great if they tuned out when we got mad and said stupid things. It doesn't happen that way. That's the nature of light shining on us. It reflects off regardless of, of what we're doing, whether it's good or bad. So then Paul elaborates then what it looks like when we are being careful to live wisely and not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity to do good, take advantage of every opportunity, because these are evil times. So what was so evil about Paul's time? Well, we believe the same things are evil about us, about our time. That the temptations to be powerful and rich will set us against our neighbors and our family, and that the voices of power are never still, they are never quiet. So, uh, Paul goes on here, and I looked, I was comparing a few translations here just to sort of see the structure of it. When Paul writes, he's a very structured writer. And so, when people get together and they're trying to build a structured list of how church people should operate, they will turn to Paul's writings. So, so Paul doesn't let us down here. He says to be careful, and then he gives a few examples of how we can be careful, And then verse 18, there are a few different ways of of writing this. One says, don't get drunk on wine. And the next one says, don't be drunk on wine. Well, those are sort of two different meanings in in a way. Um, If you're going to uh, getting drunk or just constantly being drunk, and I think poetically they lead in a little bit differently. See, when we talk about alcohol, there's, there's an intentional, I believe, uh, carryover here. When we talk about alcohol and we, the different types of, of alcohol that you can buy, uh, when you go, you might go to a liquor store or a beer store, um, <clears throat> but there are a few that say wine and spirits. So most of you didn't think that by imbibing that you were participating in a spiritual activity. Right now, somebody, oh, now I have an excuse. Good. No, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm saying. But this has always been part of our language, that there are spirits in alcohol. And so, in another part of the Bible, we we read about um, new wine in new wine skins, because when people would make their own wine, they would put it in. Uh, leather pouches, and as it was letting off the gases of that process, then the leather would have to stretch and expand. And if you were putting new wine that was going to let off more gases and more spirits, then you would need softer, more flexible wineskins. But if you put new wine in old wineskins, then when it needed to stretch, the old wineskins would tear And people would talk about the movement of that process as a spiritual activity because there was movement there that they couldn't understand. That's why we call them spirits, because there is movement that cannot be explained. Uh, And then, of course, what it does to us, what it makes us feel and experience. And so when Paul is writing here about getting drunk... I believe that he's setting this contrast. There there are spirits we can put in ourselves. And here, this is what he's talking about in the alcohol. But instead of that spirit being the main one, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Now, we know what the other spirits do to us. We know that there are reasons that people do this. They, They drink to forget because alcohol has that power to temporarily allow us to forget things. Uh, people drink it to give themselves courage, right? People call it liquid courage for a reason, uh, that there are things that you can say that you might be too shy to say otherwise. And I remember I was working in, uh, back in Ontario in, in the tobacco field, and there was uh, a girl working on the machine beside me, and that's who I was going to be working with—eight uh, hours a day, six days a week. And we wouldn't normally have been best of friends, but we were there, so we talked. So on Monday morning, I would ask her, "How was your weekend? What what did you do?" Well, she got drunk uh, pretty consistently, and so, in a non-judgmental way—as much as I can be non-judgmental—I asked her. I said. Like, what's, what's the point? Like, wh- why does this have to be the thing that you do? And she says, oh, well, it helps me to say things that I wouldn't otherwise be able to say. I'm like, what kind of things? <laughs> and she said, well, there are people who make me mad and I can't tell them off sober. I'm like, I don't know. Like, okay, well, tell me, what did you need to tell them? And then so she explained. I'm like, well, you just told me You just told me and you're sober now, I hope you're sober now, Um, but uh, you should be able to put it together, you know, linguistically, but it gave her power, right? And this is the kind, you know, so then she elaborated, and I was relatively young then, so she explained to me like like a scientist almost, the different effects that alcohol has on people. Right? And some of you will be able to classify yourself. Are you a sleepy drunk? Are you a happy drunk? What, those are things that people are. I'm not sure where I come out on that either. But then Paul begins here. This is sort of the, the beginning of the list. You know, you can be full of that Spirit, but instead, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, and this is what it will look like. Here are, here's the list. So, the first one says... To speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That among your company, speak in these terms. Speak with psalms. Speak with sacred songs. So I'm guessing when, uh, when you go out to other public places, there isn't a lot of this singing and praying and speaking poetically. That certainly doesn't happen at the, at the pubs and the coffee shops that I visit. It doesn't happen in, in the shopping malls or in the city buses. This is sort of unique to this kind of space. We fill ourselves with the Spirit, and out of the Spirit comes a desire to sing and, and express our worship and express our thanksgiving through this odd form of communication. So that's the first way of uh, knowing that the Spirit is in us. Then the second way says, Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Right? So you can't always just sing out loud, uh, as much fun as that would be. Uh, I remember we would watch a lot of musicals uh, on TV because we didn't have cable, and, and Disney would put the you know, musical programs on Sunday evenings sometimes. And in a musical, it makes sense. Oh, they're all happy together, so they break out in song. No big deal, right? Cinderella's in the forest, and she's going to sing about the man who's going to win her heart someday. Whatever. That makes sense in a movie. Doesn't make sense when you're just walking down the road. You might start singing. That's fine. Nobody will, probably nobody will tell you to shut up. But nobody's just going to join in the song with you, right? That, that's not how this works, so every now and then, we do that internally, right? And we can sing in our hearts, joy comes from us. Uh, we, can, we can put a song together, quote-unquote song, and that gives us balance, that gives us a little bit of joy. The third thing that it says here, then, is, is the focus of today, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when the Spirit, when the capital S Spirit is filling you, then thanks will flow from you. Then there will always be thanksgiving, as long as there is a Spirit flowing from you. And then the last one of the four that Paul gives, it says, and submit to each other out of respect for Christ. So Paul then is, has given us four ways of knowing that the Spirit is in us. And the last one is submitting to each other, participating in corporate worship together, uh, deciding on things together, encouraging each other, uh, keeping each other accountable. All of this is part of the Spirit being with us. So then Paul goes on to talk about what submitting to each other looks like in human relationships. Uh, Men to women, women to men. But I want to focus, of course, on the third one. Always give thanks to the Lord for everything. Now, this is uh, an interesting thing. We are given an instruction here to give thanks to God. It doesn't say, you know, thank the people who give you stuff, thank the people who help you, thank the people who you buy crops from. It only says that we're supposed to give thanks to God. So this is another thing that is done in secret. And so when it's done in secret, then the benefit of it is sort of questionable in the sense that the benefit might also only be secret. And so part of, part of what we want as, as social creatures is we want acceptance and validation from other people. But if the way that we live our lives only plays out in secret, then we don't get that that benefit. I remember uh, when I was a kid, we would have a Thanksgiving gathering at our church growing up, and we weren't uh, a charismatic church. We weren't, uh, you know, it was very similar to this in a lot of ways. There weren't a lot of hands being woven during singing. Uh, Not a lot of amens shouted out during the pastor's sermon. No big deal. Nobody minded that. But every now and then we would have a sort of a group sharing time and two or three people would share and that would be it. And you could tell the pastor was sort of hoping for more, but that was really all that people had the courage to do. Well, every now and then uh, the spirit would motivate more sharing. And so there was a there was a Monday evening Thanksgiving gathering. Uh, we had gathered for for a meal already before that, and so the pastor would say a few words, we would sing together. And I remember it was um, uncharacteristically open. We were Lots of people were sharing. And it was just a simple question. Say something you are grateful for. And so we had gone around. People were grateful for their families. And uh, of course, that's one of the, fr- especially when your family's sitting with you, it's sort of a lot of, a lot of pressure. Um, and people were, were grateful for uh, stability and health and all of that. And then my dad stood up. My dad is not a public speaker. Uh, my dad works hard. Uh, he keeps his nose clean and uh, doesn't draw any attention to himself. So he doesn't speak at church, he doesn't raise his hand, he doesn't, uh, doesn't share. But this Sunday he did, the spirit was moving and so he stood up and I don't know, you know, I could have asked him afterwards and I didn't. Uh, he stood up and said he was thankful for his job. So this was in the early 90s when the economy had taken a bit of a turn, uh, especially manufacturing economy in Ontario was a little bit slower and he was working at a factory. And so, I think he understood that in that economic climate, he was lucky to have a job with, with his skill set, and so he stood up and he was thankful. And I could see on his face that he was thankful. Now, it would have been good for us kids watching if he had, you know, said thanks, that he was thankful for us. Hey, he was. Uh, he, he communicated that in other not non-verbal ways, never verbal. Um, <clears throat> But he must have been thankful for other things. It would have been, uh, you know, someday maybe I'll ask him what else he was thankful for. And the reason that this sticks out, we had Thanksgiving services my whole life. The reason that this one in particular sticks out is by the time the next Thanksgiving gathering came around, the factory had shut down and my father no longer had a job to be thankful for. And so then, had we had a Thanksgiving gathering with open sharing then, would he have shared the same thing? Well, he couldn't have. The thing that he was thankful for the year before wasn't there anymore. And when we gather for Thanksgiving gatherings now, we think of ourselves and what we're grateful for and then we also, out of maturity, out of uh, spiritual empowerment, we also think about the poor people around us who have less to be thankful for. And so as a, as a like I said, a spiritual exercise, as, as something that I've committed to do, uh, I've always been able to do that. Oh, yes, of course, there are people without jobs, uh, and so... That should make me a little bit more thankful for my job, and it does. Uh, But I should be able to look at them and see that, no, they still have a lot to be thankful for. And so this is also my story this year, too. Last year, there was something to be thankful for that I don't have to be thankful for this year. And it makes it harder to be thankful that in this moment... When I sit down to think about what I'm grateful for, sometimes the first thing that jumps to my mind is what I don't have, any, what I don't have anymore. And so now the, the people that I was supposed to think about before, uh, I don't have to work very hard to think about them, that's, that's me now. But Paul says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I thought more about that uh, moment where my my dad stood up and said what he was thankful for. And what I, what we as as kids were uh, expecting him to say. I was surprised that he was standing up at all. So what did he have to be thankful for? Well, he had uh, a wife, a whole bunch of kids. Uh, we had a, a decent place to live. We always, had, we always had food. And much of this was above and beyond what he remembered as a kid. So he could have been thankful for any one of those things. But then to flip it around, what if uh, the, the worship leader or the pastor had said, okay, we've heard enough from the adults in the room. Let's hear what the kids are thankful for. And if I were to stand up, then my dad would have expectations of what I might be thankful for. And what would that be? Well, he would say, well, he's got a pretty comfortable life. He's got a a warm room. He's got food on his table. He gets to go to school. He gets to pursue whatever kind of learning he wants that I didn't get to. Right? My dad would have had certain expectations of what I was thankful for just the same as that I had for him. So what are our mutual expectations of thankfulness? Well, this isn't something that we normally think about, is it? We like to think about ourselves uh, and not necessarily to think about other people. Because it's, it's easy to look at somebody else without a job and say, okay, well, I'm better off than that guy, so I should be thankful. Well, no, that's, that's wrong on a few levels. My job doesn't make me better off than, than this other person. Right? And I should be thankful regardless. And yet, we are worshiping together, we are gathering together, we're seeking to learn from uh, the Bible together. And so there's something happening here uh, that is mutual. So, what are our mutual expectations of thankfulness? Now, for my, and this is all imagined. Uh, I, um, I've, I've never sort of sat down with my dad and and sort of talked through this situation. Uh, and, and he would be confused by my overanalyzing of this, like he was confused by my overanalysis of a lot of things, and that's fine. We were uh, cut from different cloths. Sometimes it seemed. But when when my father would look at me and hope that I would be thankful for something, that was the product of him giving me things. Right, my dad made sure that his kids had a comfortable place to live. My dad made sure that there was food in the fridge. My dad made sure that we lived in a peaceful home with siblings that we got along with. And so all of those things I should have been thankful for, thankful to God, also thankful to my father, but that expectation only existed because he had done the work of a parent. So when we look at each other and expect each other to be thankful, we only get to do that when we are willing to put in the work of being mutually loving family members together. So I hope that you are thankful for this congregation, for this body of worship. I hope that you are thankful for your family members. And I don't say that as, a, as an imposer of rules. This is what you have to do if you want to belong here. No, we hope that you are, and when we expect each other to be thankful, we are willing to put in the work. So if there is something in your family life that you are not thankful for, I invite you to come and talk to me about that. What can we do about that? How can we make your situation uh, more uh, thankable? That's not a word. But how can you put yourself into a mindset of, of thanksgiving? Sometimes that's your mindset that needs to change. Sometimes that's the situation that needs to be modified. So we as a community need to be willing to do that with each other. And sometimes when we look at somebody else and say... I suspect they're not very thankful about that aspect of their life. That also invites work. That also invites emotional investment. So when you see someone that isn't thankful that you would understand if they weren't thankful, that's time for you to invest of yourselves in that person so that they will have something new to be thankful for. Always give thanks... To God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God is walking with us. God expects us to be thankful. But that's only because he has done the work. He has invested in us like a father. That God has provided people in our lives to be thankful for. God has provided gifts in our life, our abilities and our skills, that we can be thankful for those. God has invested in us, and so he expects us to be thankful. So God wants to be in relationship with us. We want to be in deeper relationship with God, and thanksgiving is a part of that. So it's easy to fill ourselves with our own uh, <clears throat> mindset, the, the spirit of the world that we live in, which, th- which makes us think about getting more and having more. But we need to replace that instead with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit, and when we do that, thankfulness will flow. So let us have that thankfulness flow out of us, may the Spirit fill us, uh, and help us to see what we have to be thankful for, and where God has been investing in us. Amen.